All right, let's continue our series, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. We're in week three. Next week, of course, we're going to be doing the candlelighting service, so it'll be a a traditional Christmas Eve service. We'll take a a week off from the sermon series and uh, talk about the birth of Christ and how that fits into uh, the, the plan of God over time. But this week, let's go back into the Sermon on the Mount. We're covering every verse in the Sermon on the Mount. So that means we're going to cover some tough ones, uh, but that's worth it, right? We want to see everything that Jesus had to say. Amen? Amen. So by way of recap, we've covered uh, much of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew so far. We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. And so we looked at the Beatitudes, which is the the list of things where Jesus says stuff like, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so we find in that that Jesus is describing the type of character he wants his followers to have, and he is telling them about hidden blessings that are there for those who follow him. And so when we look at what sort of character Jesus wants from his people, Jesus is looking for humble, gentle, merciful, pure peacemakers who hunger and thirst for God's ways and who will persevere when other people don't understand them. We also learned that Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light unto the world. So we're called to preserve the ways of God and the truth of God in a world that strays from him. Amen? Who is going to preserve the ways of God and the truth of God when the culture goes away from God? It's the church. It's the, it's the followers. It's us. We need to not be pulled away from God by uh, culture or other things. We need to preserve and hold on to the ways of God and the truth of God. And then this is the theme for the whole sermon. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. So Matthew 5, 17 and 5, 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. And so as we're going through this sermon series, we're dealing with various of the Ten Commandments that Jesus fulfills, and he explains how to take it from the Old Testament mentality to the New Testament mentality. He doesn't erase the commandments, he fulfills the commandments. And then verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is, if you don't do better than the pastors and the Bible school teachers, you're out. Isn't that something? (laughs) If you don't do better than the pastors and the Bible school teachers of his day, and the pastors and the Bible school teachers of Jesus' day were all nitpicky about a whole bunch of rules, they knew the letter of the law, but they missed the heart of the law. They missed the ways of God in the heart of God. And so what Jesus is saying is, okay, it's not enough to just follow a bunch of rules and have your heart distant from God. You need to draw into the presence of God, love God, love God's ways, and then 
That's how your righteousness can surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we got into that last week with some pretty strong stuff about loving your enemies. You know, in the Old Testament, it says, do not murder. And Jesus said, yeah, okay, don't murder, but don't be angry. Let's, let's read about that. Matthew chapter 5, 46 through 48 says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? So you can't just love people that love you. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So Jesus is saying we need to be, uh, we need to rise the standard up. It needs to be raised up above what everybody else is doing. If everybody loves their friends and hates their enemies and we just do the same, what good is that? We need to be called to a higher standard if we're going to follow God's ways. And that is to not just love our friends, but to love our enemies as well. And then the difficult one, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. To understand that in a greater way, listen, if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast, go to goodhope.ag, listen to that. Um, I think it came out reasonably well. So uh, it'll help you understand the depth of what Jesus is getting at with that. But here's the deal. Jesus came to change the world. You don't change the world with fluffy, little, irrelevant religious stuff. You change the world by calling people to change, calling people into a different way of living. And that's what Jesus does here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's pray and we will get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Again, Father, I thank you that you don't leave us here to wander around, do just the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. So, Lord, help us to see what you've got for us. Help us to see your ways. Help us to believe. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle. So, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need this morning. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about two of the Ten Commandments this morning. As we finish up Matthew chapter 5, the title of the sermon is Be True and Be Truthful. Be true and be truthful. The two of the Ten Commandments that we're going to deal with is the do not commit adultery commandment and the do not uh, not lie, do not bear false witness commandment. So Jesus raises the bar. Let's go to Matthew 5. We'll read 27 through 32. Then we'll work through it bit by bit. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. So uh, hold off on that until I explain it later. So don't, don't do anything right now. Just wait. There you go. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. 
All right, so Jesus is raising the bar on this commandment. Let's look at verses 27 and 28. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you heard the phrase, you can look, but you can't touch? That didn't come from Jesus. (laughs) That didn't come from Jesus. Jesus says, it's one thing to get your behavior under control, but you also have to get your mind under control. You also have to get your heart under control. You need to get your heart in the right place. You need to get your mind in the right place, not just your behavior. So, now... Here's the deal. No adultery in behavior, no adultery in your mind either. Now, one of the things that I think is a little bit unfortunate about our consumeristic culture is that we, in the United States, in Western culture, we can apply a consumeristic mentality to things that shouldn't have a consumeristic mentality. And one of those things we can apply that to is a spouse. You know, like you want to get the best deal. You know what I'm saying? Like you want to get the best one out there. Like you want to have the best car. You want to have the best house. You want to have the best clothes. You want to have the best spouse, right? Isn't that how that works? And so what happens is people shop around and then they start feeling like maybe they got a bad deal. You know, like, oh, I should have gone with with the other model, you know, that sort of thing. And guess what? That just causes lots and lots of problems. Amen? I tell people this, and it's only a little bit tongue-in-cheek. When you're dating, when you're engaged, you shop around, evaluate who you're going to be with. After you get married, you just settle for the person you got. Because <laughs> guess what? You're done. It's over. A lot of people settle for who they're dating, They just sort of let it happen. They get married and then they decide in their head to start shopping around. It's a disaster. Once you get married, you've sealed the deal. Love your wife. Love your husband. That's how it goes. Does your spouse need to be perfect for you to obey this command? No. Guess what? If you're not married, I'm going to give you a very important little piece of information you are going to marry a human being who is not, none of them are. And so if you're trying to find a perfect person, it just doesn't work that way. And you might be thinking in your mind this illusion of this perfect person who's going to complete you and who's going to do everything wonderfully. And, and that it just that person isn't out there. It's just not real. And so you need to understand you're going to marry an imperfect person. You're going to marry a person with that has uh, mistakes. And if you're already married, you know that already. Everybody has their issues. Everybody has their problems. And we're called to stick with each other even in the midst of our own problems. Jesus loved us when we were still sinners. Jesus loves us in our imperfections and we're called to love one another 
in our imperfections as well. And it's a heart discipline. It's one of the ways of God. So instead of coveting, instead of you know, shopping around in your mind or in other ways after you get married, you just know this is my spouse. It's the way it goes. I'm going to uh, follow God's ways. It's a heart discipline, one of the ways of God. And God has that same standard for your spouse as well, for the one you will be marrying, the one you're married to, uh, whatever the case may be. Now let's look at verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now Jesus must be taking this stuff pretty seriously. He brings up hell twice. That's pretty strong. Very, very strong. Just like last week, Jesus talked about hell in verse 22 of chapter 5, dealing with uh, the don't murder commandment and fulfilling that. Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is an uh, Aramaic uh, term of contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay. He's bringing this... Jesus is taking this stuff very, very seriously. Amen? So we should take these things very, very seriously. And so he says, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Should there be lots of Christians walking around with missing eyes and missing hands? (laughs) Figuratively, perhaps. Let me try to help you out. I have a more kind-hearted interpretation of these scriptures than Celeste has. <laughs> so here's the deal. Don't gouge out your eye, but you may want to block some stuff on your phone. You may want to put some safeguards on your computer. You may want to set yourself up for success in your behavior by setting up accountability structures in your life. Take away the opportunity to sin in areas that you are strongly tempted in because you need to do that so that you can buy some time to get your heart right so that the temptation starts to go away. Did you know that over time, the things that we are tempted to do, the sinful things that we want to do, as we grow closer to God, those things will tempt us less and less. It's true. It's a revelation that my wife had years ago, just a few years ago, because so many people think that, okay, there's all these things we really, really, really want to do that we know we really, really, really shouldn't. And so we're resigned to this way of being, that we really have all these gnawing sins, these yearnings to do the wrong thing hanging on us. And if we're going to follow God, we just resist those for the rest of our life, even though we really, really, really want to do those things. Isn't that the mentality? But here's the deal. The, what 
the plan of God is, is to break the grip of that off of you so that you're no longer tempted by it. You understand that it doesn't work. You're not tempted by it because you see the darkness of it and you're free. How many people when you were little were a kleptomaniac? One thing I've learned about four-year-olds is they believe that every cookie in the world is their cookie. Right? If they see a cookie, that must be my cookie. So what do you do if you're four and there's a cookie? You take it and you eat it, right? Because four-year-olds take stuff that isn't theirs because they're pretty sure they're the center of the universe. And so that cookie must be their cookie. And then when mom says, did you eat the cookie? They say, no. (laughs) So they automatically steal and they automatically lie. But then as you get older, you realize, well, stealing stuff doesn't work out good for me. And so the temptation starts to go away. And it's the same thing with the other things of God. Because why does God make rules? It's very important to have a clear understanding of why God makes rules. God makes rules because he loves us and he's trying to help us out. And he sees things from a broader perspective than how we see things. We don't always see the danger. We don't always see the problem. But God sees the danger. God sees the problem. And so he tells us things to help us out. Because we're walking kind of half blind. And God sees everything. When my boys were little, we lived in Bemidji. And we lived on a busy street where cars would drive really fast. And so like they're five and three and, you know, just little kids and they'd play in the yard because little boys play in the yard. And I had a rule and that rule was if the ball goes in the street, you come get me, you come get your mother, you do not get the ball. And I was very, very strict about that. And if they would go towards the ball, they learned, don't go towards the road, don't Go get the ball. Why did dad make that rule? I'm just a mean old man who doesn't want little boys to have a ball to play with. Is that the reason? No, it's because I can see things from a broader perspective. And I know that little boy versus car, little boy loses every time. And I don't want that to happen even once. So very strong, very strict rule, very Very strong. And so God does the same thing for us to help us out so that we don't mess up what we're working through. You you following me? Amen. So we need to have faith in God's ways, trusting that he understands better than we do. And then when we have faith in that, we can say, okay, I don't see why I should avoid this, but I'm going to trust you, Lord, as you tell me this is what I should do. All right, verse 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is saying, just stick with your wife, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He transitions from adultery into divorce, a natural transition. Now, Jesus' question on this topic again later, and so I think we have time to read that. Matthew 19, 
3 through 9, Jesus is questioned on this, this same uh, issue. And so let's get the deeper version of it. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to, vo- to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they're saying, if you just don't feel like being married to her, can you send her away? And in that culture, it was an economic disaster for the woman to be sent away. In today's world, it's a moderate economic disaster for both. But back then, it was all on her. And so it was a a terrible disaster for her. Can you just get rid of them because you don't feel like being with them anymore? Haven't you read, he replied, that's Jesus, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they no longer, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Look how this is phrased. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Doesn't it sound like you're supposed to give them a divorce? Uh, they're playing with words. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You must take your marriage vows seriously. And so what Jesus is saying about what Moses Permitted is very, very interesting. So the law, what Moses permitted, write a certificate of divorce, wasn't God's original plan A, it was plan B. Okay, if you can't get along, you'd better write her a certificate so she's not just cast out into the lowest levels of society, but she can remarry because she has the certificate. And so it was a protection on the woman, but plan A was stay married for life. Did you know God has a plan A for marriage and it's a good thing? God has a plan A. I don't know anybody who accidentally stumbled into God's plan A for marriage. It's a hard work tough deal that happens over time. But God has a plan A that involves love and respect and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Now, divorce hurts people, amen? God doesn't like that. But the answer isn't just sticking with the terrible marriage. The answer is having God's plan A, good marriage. That's the answer. Now stick with it. If you can. But the answer is learning how to be the husband or the wife that can participate in a God's plan A marriage and then helping your spouse or making sure that you marry someone who can also participate in God's plan A marriage. Now, what if God's people had God's plan A type marriages? We'd be a light unto the world. What do you do if it's complicated? 
You know, sometimes this, this stuff's simple to preach. It's hard to live. What do you do if it's complicated? I give you the answer. You just go from here doing the right thing. Honor the relationship that you're in. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is today is a new day. Yesterday doesn't own you. The mistakes of the past don't control you. Start today, go forward from here. That's the good news of the gospel. None of us has to feel ashamed of the past. None of us has to feel guilty. None of us has to identify with those things from before. They're just gone. The blood of Christ washes those things away. How do we just go forward from today? We learn the ways of God, live the ways of God. It's just that simple. If it's complicated, honor the relationship you're in. Go forward from here in the ways of God. Now, so be true and be truthful. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is now dealing with the command to uh, not bear false witness. Don't lie. So that's the, the command of the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In the religious culture of the day, they had a version of the cross your fingers and put them behind your back deal. When you were in elementary school, could you cross your fingers, put them behind your back, and then that allowed you to be able to tell a lie? Raise your hands if that was part of the culture that you grew up in. Okay, quite a few. So this apparently is a universal truth that covers the whole world. That if you cross your fingers and put them behind your back, you're able to tell lies. And the religious culture of the day when Jesus was preaching had something very, very similar to that. Let's just read Matthew 23, just verse 16. We'll just do verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. So they had all these rules. So like you could take an oath by the temple of God. I am telling you the truth. But you could be lying. However, if you said by the gold of the temple, then you were bound. Very, very complicated form of crossing your fingers and putting them behind your back. But it was all couched in all this religious stuff. And so, this is in the woes chapter of Matthew 23. So he is chewing out the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he's telling them, you need to be people of truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Now, in the Christian world today, I think there are those who are trying to follow God, but who have resigned themselves to not always telling the truth, to lying from time to time. Let me tell you, it just doesn't work that way. We serve a God of truth. Jesus said, go back to that uh, 537, Matthew 537. Jesus said, anything else comes from the evil one or from evil. 
Simply let your yes be yes, your no, no. Don't have to take an oath to prove to somebody that you're actually telling the truth, that you're actually going to do what you say. Just be a person of your word. Anything else is out of darkness. It's, it's, Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies, and when he lies, he's speaking his native language. We need to be people of truth. So, there are lots of reasons why people say things. Many of those reasons are not because it's true. People say things because it's what the other person wants to hear. People say things because it'll get them out of a jam. People say things because it'll hurt someone. Have you ever said something that wasn't true when you were arguing with somebody so that you could hurt them? That's a deep evil. Don't do that. You don't get to say things that aren't true to hurt somebody. We are people of truth when we follow Christ. For the Christian, you must say the things that are true. Now, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Amen? Because you can speak the truth in darkness, too. You can say something true to hurt somebody. We're not supposed to say things that are true out of malice. A truth in darkness. It's a truth in love. That's what we're supposed to do. And it is possible to not lie. If you believe it is not possible to tell the truth, let me tell you, it is possible to not lie. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, Jesus came to change the world. And just having everybody do everything the same way they were before and have just a slightly different religious idea in the back of their mind isn't what he was thinking of. It was getting people to live out God's ways on this planet, and God is a God of truth. And so he wants us to speak the truth. I know there are people who don't lie. Because when I met my wife, she did not lie to her parents. I met her when I was 19 and she was 17. And she did not lie to her parents. I'd never met anyone who didn't lie to their parents. I was, you know, I was in those types of circles. It was just simpler, right? You know, they want to hear something, you tell them that. You want to live your life, you live your life. Here's this girl. I start dating this girl. She doesn't lie to her parents. And her mom would ask her questions like this. Is there anything you need to tell me? And she would say, well, you'd probably want to know about this and about this and about this. Keeps a young man straight, just telling you. If you know that the girlfriend's mom is going to hear everything, it affects your behavior. But I know that you don't have to lie, but you have to set yourself up. You have to not be living a deceptive life. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to live in such a way that you're not dependent on things being... uh, deceiving in order for you to be able to function. So you have to live a life of truth. It is possible. 
But put yourself in a position where you don't rely on lies. Again, why does God make rules? Because he loves us and he's trying to help us out. If you're a parent, you've seen your kid lie and you know exactly where it's going to go. You're like, dude, why are you doing this? It's not going to work out well for you. And God, again, is like that with us. We start living in these half-truths. We start living in these funny things. And he knows it's all going to fall apart. God makes rules because he loves us and he's trying to keep us out of trouble. Have us live abundant life. And keep your promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no means be a person of your word. You know, this last month at Good Hope Church, we had our highest volunteer success rate in the history of the church. We track how many times our volunteers show up on time ready to go for their assignment. November, 97.7% success rate. We had, yeah, pretty good. We had seven late or not show up out of over 300 volunteer assignments last month. Very, very impressive. That's letting your yes be yes and your no be no. So I'm very excited about that. All right, I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. Jesus expects us to actually do these things. Amen? Not simply know that we should not do them and then rely on God's grace. Jesus expects us to actually do this, so we're going to need some help. We're going to need God's help with this. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 as our closing scripture. And it's got a list of things that people do wrong in it. It's got a list of not great things. But verse 11 is what we want to look at. Because each one of us, whenever I'm going through scriptures like this, like the Sermon on the Mount, and I see the standard that Jesus puts up there, you know, and if you're honest, you look at the standard and you think, oh, great. What am I supposed to do? You know, it'd be fun if I could be like, yeah. Some of these standards are very, very high. And we want to reach the standard, but we want to be honest about it. So how do we go forward when we don't meet God's perfect standard? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a pretty broad list. Slanderer is on there. That's gossip. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. So Paul is looking at the congregation in Corinth. He gives this list of all these terrible things. And he says, and that's you guys. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. Jesus raises the standard, but he also creates a way for us to not meet the standard, 
but to be cleansed, to be justified so that we can continue to strive to get there without being covered in guilt, without being covered in shame. We can be in the process of sanctification without the rejection of God. Amen? This is a big deal because if we're going to get there, we're going to have to work up to it over time. And again, I haven't met anybody who's got there perfectly in their whole life. And so we do need mercy from God. We do need grace from God because we have our own imperfections. Don't let that translate into complacency, but we have to have a way of being imperfect before God and having him help us to get better and not condemn us. And that is this. That's what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The good news is that your past does not own you. Your past does not define you. And your past does not direct your future. You were washed, sanctified, and justified. If you need some more of that, if you've never given yourself to the Lord, now is a good time. But if you have and you need a little more washing, you need a little more justification, you need to progress with sanctification, learning the ways of God. Let's pray to be able to receive that more and more. Let's pray to trust God a little bit more and walk in his ways a little better. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, it doesn't matter what the need is. Come get prayer. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus, come get prayer. You need a physical healing. You need wisdom from God. Whatever it is, come get prayer. But let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your ways are good. Your ways are perfect. And Lord, we fall short from time to time. Lord, help us to understand that you are an advocate for us. That when we fall short, you love us anyway. You love us unconditionally and you will help us. Thank you, Lord, that that our past does not own us. That through the blood shed on the cross, our sins are forgiven and washed away. Lord, help us to believe that more and more so that we are not condemned, self-condemned by our own understanding of who we are. Let us see ourselves as you see us, washed clean by that divine sacrifice. Lord, help us to know that we are justified, not by our own strength, not by the things we've done, but we are justified by you, fully accepted, fully loved, fully brought into your kingdom. And Lord, help us to learn and to grow and to get better. Help us to walk by faith more and more, knowing that your ways are good, even if we don't understand them, even if we miss the mark from time to time, help us to have faith in your ways so that we can learn to walk in them and see your glory and your blessings. 
I just pray a a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, I pray that your joy would be in us and overflow through us with love into this world so that those who are hard to love would be loved, so that those who need encouragement would be encouraged. Lord, let your truth flow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.